podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Alpine, freestyle, Nordic, snowboard, speed, telemark and para. All disciplines under the heading of snow sport. Working with elite athletes and developing pathways for talent, GB Snow Sport is an ambitious national governing body with a stated aim of becoming a top five snow sport nation by 2030. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. This is the series where we meet the men and the women responsible for delivering those medal moments. And the last Winter Games delivered more ski and snowboard medals for British athletes than ever before. But what now for an organisation in a nation that gets just the occasional flurry of the white stuff? I'm Michael. I'm John, and we've come to New Cavendish Street in the centre of London for the home of GB Snow Sport to meet the person tasked with making it happen following her successful military career and working on Prince Harry's Invictus Games. Yes, I'm Victoria Gosling. I'm the chief executive of GB Snow Sport. And it's been quite a period of change for GB Snow Sport. There's been a rebranding and you've recently arrived as the chief executive within the last year. So I've been, I've been here about 18 months now. Um, and in that time, we did a merger with the, with the Paris Snow Sport. So we bought Paris Snow Sport under our remit. And we also, as you, you say, we did a rebrand from what was British Ski and Snowboard to GB Snow Sports. And, we've, um, and in that time, we've also bought, um, brought in a couple of other disciplines. We've had moguls. And, and Cross Border, which has been a great success. Both programmes have done really well within that time as well. So very exciting times. Yeah, you say it's exciting times. Obviously, there's quite a lot of disciplines and that must be a challenge in itself because for those of us that grew up watching Ski Sunday, we see men and women hurtling down a slope. But we're now into action sports, we're into freestyle sports and, and all the various sort of challenges and, and differences that they bring. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, but that's what makes um, the snow sport for Britain really exciting because we've got everything from endurance with your cross country, as you rightly say, we've got alpine, um, we've got moguls now, we've got snowboarding, we've got cross border, we've got slope style, big air, half pipe. Um, and of course, the Paris snow sports in themselves are really exciting. So we've got a real crossbreed. In fact, talking to Dan Hunt, uh, the performance director, he always says, having come from cycling, that he feels that we're, if, you, if you consider taking athletics, cycling and rowing and battling them all together, it's a little bit like that. It's a real, because each of the disciplines are so different by nature um, and by personality. You know, it, it is interesting, but it's great fun with it. So how does a former group captain in the RAF end up running a body that is in charge of snow sports in Great Britain and Northern Ireland? Well, I think, um, yeah, I did, obviously did quite a bit of sport in the military anyway. Um, but my, uh, the, the journey here was very much, I became the um, military project lead for the very first Invictus Games in 2014 in London. Um, and then I was fortunate to go on to become the chief executive for the Invictus Games in Orlando. Um, and it was at that time I was seconded by the military for the first games. But actually, um, the second games were my opportunity to to depart the military and, and, and take on a different career. And subsequent to that, I was approached to ask, would I, would I consider doing this role? Um, and and actually, it was a, a really exciting opportunity and the timing just worked for me. So that's how I found myself here. You mentioned the Invictus Games. That was a change of game, if you like, for not just power sport, but also for the military as well. How proud are you 
you played a, a crucial part in that. Well, I mean, if for me, sort of my involvement, I'd helped to set up something called Combined Services Adaptive Sports. And the reason that we'd done that within the military is because we'd taken significant casualties. I mean, we ended up with a decade of significant casualties, sadly, from both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and, and you saw that firsthand because you were you were I, out I was, there. Yeah, I, so I, I did, and I was I was in um, I was in a great position actually to help set up what became the Combined Services Adaptive Sport. So with that, I I, um, I set up a uh, an adaptive water sports um, setup, and then adaptive um, tennis as well, wheelchair tennis, and took the guys from Headley Court to go and give it a go effectively. And because of that, when His Royal Highness went out to America, I was uh, sort of the port of call for the Ministry of Defence to step in for them and help to scope out what the games could look like. Um, and one of my remits was to get out to the other nations that we'd invited to take part and to ask them, you know, to, to, to join. And we picked those nations at the time based on those who'd been uh, fought alongside us in Afghanistan and Iraq. So, um, uh, you know, and for the military, what's it done for the military? It's been fantastic for the military in terms of those wounded, injured and sick. It's really kept them on the radar. But it's also, I think, for this country been really beneficial in terms of demonstrating the power of a sport, not only in recovery, but also highlighting, um, you know, how inspirational para sport in general is and of course coming into snow sports for me I had a real interest in you know one of the th first things I think I came in in the April and by the July we'd merged with para snow sports because it, for me I'd, I had a passion there as well and combining I mean with GB snow sports for example we combine um, some of our training with uh, with our para snow sport athletes and our Olympic athletes and it's it's great to see the benefit of that but it's been a, it's been a great journey for for the military but also it's been uh, it's been brilliant to put the you know the Paris sport in general and disability sports on onto the um, onto the agenda and onto a platform and Invictus complements Paris sport um, I think that uh, Invictus is very much obviously its target is uh, wounded injured and sick military um, so that's the audience but what it does do is I think it has demonstrated that anything is possible and it's been very good at as you say, complementing, but also highlighting and really drawing attention to the talent of some of these men and women, not just those that participate in the Invictus Games, but those that participate generally in disability sport. And Prince Harry, of course, is the face of the Invictus Games. Does he get fully involved? Does he sit around meeting room tables and say, this is what we're looking to do, this is the strategy, this is the outlook, or is he just a figurehead? No, I think, I mean, he's been incredibly engaged. And, you know, right back in 2014, he was absolutely present um, in all of the development meetings and at the board meetings. He played a huge part. And actually, I mean, it was his baby in, in the sense of, he was a driving force behind it and making sure that, you know, his vision was brought to life. So to use a bit of tabloid talk, it's not surprising that he's broken cover to, to back the next games and announce that it's going to Germany. It just shows the passion that he has for it. And it's right at the forefront of his mind. And I think he's keen to see it, it maintain, um, you know, the pathway that he set out for it to have. So the future looks fine from your point of view. I mean, obviously, he said he's going to take a step back slightly, but not from Invictus. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's very clear. I um, also sit as the strategic advisor um, for the Invictus Games for the, the MOD for the Ministry of Defence and the UK delegation. And, and it's it's very clear with the recent announcement and uh, the conversations that have been had, this is, you know, he is passionate to, to continue um, being at the forefront of the Games. Michael kind of alluded to it earlier about how you go from group captain to a, to a CEO. So you're now desk bound, if you like. Are you a snow sport fan? Do you do sm- snow sport? Does it matter if you don't? Yeah, I mean, I am a huge snow sport fan, um, and I wouldn't say that I'm desk bound per se. Um, uh, and actually, when you think about the military, a lot of the roles that I had were in commanding officer positions, so dealing with people. And this is literally dealing with people, but dealing, you know, dealing with people in elite sport. Um, and I. Uh, in terms of, you know, does it matter? Well, it, I think it helps. I don't think it's essential, but I think it absolutely helps if you have a passion for the sport. And I always say to people, if you want to do well, then put your paycheck where your passion is and actually going to work becomes really good fun. Um, I ski. I don't snowboard. I'm going to confess that straight away. But I still, um, you know, it, whether you're cross-country, moguls, skiing, snowboarding, para snow sport, all of them. I, you know, I've got to, I, I enjoy all of the different disciplines because they each bring something different, but it doesn't mean that I can do them all. I can ski, but I'm average. And in terms of your leadership role, do you think people sometimes underestimate those transferable skills from being on a front line or being in a command centre to running an organisation like this one? Yeah, I mean, for me, I always say that actually it's all about inspiring people to follow you and to be aligned to a clear vision and mission um, rather than requiring them to follow you. And, you know, that's a key skill to have within the military because clearly there are lives on the line and you need people to be inspired to follow you. You can use rank clearly to you know require if you require them to follow you too it's slightly order it's probably easier to ask people to do things but um i would suggest that you know the ability to take people with you on a journey is is key um and very much so in the military but also you know outside in any organization you want to see that in your leaders and you talk about a journey you have got a journey over the next 10 years as an organization if your performance director dan hunt is to be believed and you referenced him right at the start of this interview a top five snow sport nation by 2030 is that possible for a country like great britain and northern ireland i believe it is i mean you have to be ambitious right you know so i i think um you know we are being ambitious but when you look at that what does that realistically mean that means that we have to be pulling our weight across the different disciplines we can't just focus and put all our eggs in one basket and say well let's just purely focus on alpine what we need to do in order to achieve that vision and um, has done the maths um, and it is pretty convincing and it's effectively performing across all the different disciplines that we're doing now um, and ensuring that we have the strength and depth to get us there. I mean, you will have already seen that be- by creating, um, you know, I call it the six pillars of success. Uh, we've we've transferred some world-class athletes across and our own athletes that have been homegrown from, from scratch are performing incredibly well. We have had the best results um, in British history within the past 18 months. So I think we're definitely on the right trajectory. And you've got someone like Charlotte Banks and you mentioned it there. 
switching nationality, although obviously, you know, she would suggest she's coming home. You've done the same with, with coaching and around the performance as well. And that's something that, you know, is, is part of the strategy, something you set out to do, bring people in, bring the best people in. Yeah, I mean, so so the way that we've done it is across six pillars. So people for athletes first in everything that we do, um, culturally, making sure that we get the culture right. So it's inclusive, it's diverse, and it's attracting the right people and, and ensuring that those that we have are, are happy. But performance-wise, it's been really important that we have set ourselves up with world-class in every sense. So whether that's world-class coaches, we, you know who we have you know we say straight away we bought them in from Norway we bought them in from um, you know Switzerland from France and um, and that's been really good in a attracting talent but b uh, ensuring that the talent that we do have we're giving the right training to to get them where they need to go um, and of course an innovation I mean we know what it takes to win we've seen it in cycling we've seen it in rowing we all we get marginal gains really well so we've teed ourselves up with an incredible innovation team as well Um, and I think that's that's part of the journey so yes attracting athletes British athletes back great but also ensuring that we are giving the best that we can give to the talent that we already have and how important was it that Dan Hunt came in and helped lead that from the experience he had at British Cycling which in some people's eyes from 2008 onwards just suddenly burst onto the scene and have dominated since. I think it's been great having Dan in in the fact that actually he really does get marginal gains and his understanding of what it takes to win is first class. So that's been a, a real advantage to us. There is absolutely no hesitation in that. And and I think um you know, his, he has really driven um, the strategy in terms of performance with us. And that's, that's been key to, to how we've got the, the, the most recent results. And is there any issue, and, and Michael alluded to it earlier, about Charlotte Banks coming in, switching nationality, bringing in Gus Kenworthy, who's won medals for another nation. Is there any issue with seeing to buy success? We certainly didn't buy success. I mean, I think what's happened is we set the platform up perfectly so that we could um, demonstrate that we, I mean, we, we know what it takes to win in Britain. And actually what was fascinating was both of those athletes, and I think they'd be the first to say, approached us and said, look, you know, we, we want to do this for Britain. You've got Charlotte, whose both parents were from Britain. And then, of course, you've got Gus, whose his mum was from, from Britain. And I think they've just seen a combination of the pillars I talked about. They've seen a combination of the culture that we're creating. They've seen um, the, the fact that we've now got world-class coaching structures in place. And how attractive is it to be, you know, actually coming to Britain and winning um, medals for Britain is really exciting um, because it, the, there are not many out there right now. So being the first to really make that happen is good but you also need role models we need to be able to attract you know in order for um to 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 make it realistic to grassroots and to the kids that are out there we want to demonstrate that Britain can do this and it's much easier to demonstrate that with fact and demonstrate it with successful individuals so the very fact that we have world-class athletes here already gives us a credible you know step forward so I think it's I think it's really important but how do you bring the next generation through when all the training is done abroad and not say, I know that the freestylers are based in Corby from a skateboarding point of view, there's a great skate park there, but from a skiing and a, and a you know, snowboarding point of view, how do you get them when you have to go to Austria to do it? 
Well, we don't have to go to Austria. Look at just take one look at Dave Riding and where he learned. You know, literally um, on a dry slope. We have some fantastic facilities in Britain, and they are dotted all around the country. And what we are doing more and more now is focusing on on reach and ensuring that we, you know, we're as inclusive as possible but using the facilities that we have, but looking also at the talent that we have in terms of kids who are skateboarders or gymnasts. I mean, you just look at Billy Morgan, that was his pedigree. Um, and and we start we can start them here, no problem. It's tricky with Alpine, if we're really honest, because you have to gain, although Dave did it, you have to gain um, you know, your technical sort of skill within that at around, you know, a much earlier age than some of the other disciplines that we have. But um, we, it's a case of making sure that we're using we're using the facilities that we have here, and then and then creating the right pipeline and pathway forward to get them into the mountains. The next Olympics, Winter Olympics, and Winter Paralympics is is Beijing. Are the names like Dave Riding and, and Andrew Musgrove are they going to be the names that? the British public are talking about in 2022? Well, I'd hope they're talking about them now. So um, in terms of 2022, yes, I would. I mean, we have a really good pool of athletes uh, now that we're, you know, you've got the Atkins sisters, Izzy Atkins, Zoe Atkins, Day Riding, Andrew Musgrave, you know, Jimmy. Um, you've We've got uh, Andrew Young in cross country. You've got Woodsy, James Woods, you know, right up there. Um, so I, I think that, you know, in turn, Katie Ormod obviously is back, which is great to see. And, and of course, we've got the, this mogul team coming through. I mean, some of the names are intention would be that they're talking about them before 2022 so that we could hopefully get our athletes to become household names by that point And people are really honing in and watching them. Yeah, is that a challenge for you that there is this huge focus? It's suddenly it's on the BBC for 18 hours a day for 17 days once every four years. But you've got to try and keep these people in the public eye and keep their personalities out there week in, week out. Is that tough? I think um, for us as winter sport, I, I, if I were really honest with you, we're a nation with no sport and we haven't got huge mountain ranges. So we're up against it to start with, aren't we? But realistically um it's all down to partnerships and creating activation opportunities and getting their faces known it's a challenge to do it but actually that's a challenge that we want to embrace and and you know we've got a fantastic marketing team that we now brought in who are and and pr and comms who are now really focusing on how do we get um our athletes out there and how do we get them to effectively get, engage with the general public and of course the children that we want to and the kids and the next generation that we want to engage to get them onto the slopes and get them out there and with someone like andrew musgrave you've sort of been on the record saying he's a bit of a trailblazer not just in his his discipline but he's been outspoken hasn't he i mean certainly uh, he was outspoken about doping revelations is, is that something you would encourage your athletes to do I think, you know, for us, um, we are very much about setting a level playing field in terms of, um, you know, we want sport to be clean. We want to, we, we want to set the bar. We don't want to, you know, clearly to be tainted or, um, or involved in that side of sport. It's very, it's really saddening. And I think, um, you know, someone like Andrew Musgrave just found it very difficult uh, to find out what was going on, at particularly you know we've got athletes that work so hard and you want to start your race or start you know your competition knowing that you are starting on a level playing field to find out post that moment that it wasn't a level playing field it's very hard to swallow 
And you've got someone like Andrew doing that in swimming. You've got Duncan Scott and Adam Peaty obviously making their stands. But I've been in press conferences, certainly in track and field, where journalists have asked athletes about doping or drugs, and they roll their eyes at you. Their body language suggests they're not interested in talking about it. Is, is that an issue? Do you think that if the athletes don't seem that bothered about it, then why should the general public? You know, clearly that. I don't I haven't been present when I've seen that, but um, it's really you know, from our athlete perspective and, and, you know, the athletes that we have, I'm proud to say um, they, uh, we, we are about integrity and we want that to go throughout our culture, our athletes and our staff. It, everything about what we're doing is, is operating in earnest and giving it your everything to get to where you need to go without having to rely on doping or, you know, anything like that. You're listening to Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We're talking to Vicky Gosling, OBE. And just on that drugs thing, from a personal point of view, you come from the military, as we've already talked about. That must be so frustrating. Has some of your training from the military kind of gone, well, why is this integ- Why is the integrity not there? Uh, it, it, well, it is. And actually, it is. It's probably one of, um, you know, you come out of a... a something like the military that's you know it's fairly institutionalized that's no secret but trust you know people will go to hell and back for you in the military and you are absolutely trust is utterly um you know essential you have to trust people integrity is key so to to be exposed to an environment that may not be as trustworthy um is i mean that's difficult right so yeah you're absolutely right. So that's been eye-opening. What about you coming in as a, a CEO, um, as a female CEO? How have you been welcomed into British sport? I've been really lucky. I mean, um, you know, I guess that I have been throughout my career, you know, whether it's been a Commodore of a water sports centre or, you know, RAF tennis or triathlon, you name it, I've kind of been in, in sport all my life. So, and I've been in a very male-dominated environment. Um, so I guess I haven't found the transition too difficult in terms of gender, per se. And in terms of being accepted in, when well, you think about some of the people that I have had the opportunity to work with, um, people like Catherine Granger, for example, who are, you know, who's the, the, the chair of UK Sport. I'm really lucky that I'm blessed with some pretty inspirational uh, women leaders around. So, so life is, I haven't found that side challenging. And you'd recommend it as a maybe a career for women who are looking to maybe expand their horizons? You know, maybe they've got HR experience and leadership experience in other industries? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what's great in this circumstance has been um, being able to bring a rather rounded portfolio to the role. So because you learn a lot about, about people. And at the end of the day, everything's about people. So understanding how people tick and understanding um, you know, what it takes to motivate individuals, whether your background, as you say, is HR or industry or whatever it is. Um, I think if you have a passion, and it comes back to my point about, you know, put your paycheck where your passion is. If you have a passion for sport, then, then it makes it far easier to really come in and, and engender the right um, culture and the right atmosphere. We mentioned it earlier with, with some of the coaches and some of the athletes that want to come and be part of British sport, be part of the programme. Have, have British sport got it right at the minute in terms of the government agency UK Sport? gives you some money you have your athletes then at games time you hand them over to team gb and para gb who you share a building with is is the model right in this country 
I think um, in terms of uh, the model, I, you know, any model, I always say, um, can be improved. I don't think you can ever get anything perfect in terms of the, you know, whether, I mean, we have a fantastic relationship with, uh, with the BOA, I have to say. It works really, really well. Um, and we're fortunate in the sense that we can activate any sponsorship or commercial opportunity in that huge build-up prior to the Olympics. So uh, we haven't struggled too much with that side of it. But um, And the UK sport, I will say, have been very supportive. I mean, clearly, um, we I, everybody will probably say this, but um, from a funding perspective, we could always do with more. Um, you know, we... we Couldn't we all? We, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, it doesn't matter where you work, right? Resource is really important, and there's always a finite amount of it. So it's how you prioritize it and what you do with it. But um, if money was not an option, I'm pretty sure that we would be able to implement a lot more things a lot quicker. In another episode of, of Great British Bosses, we spoke to Tim Hollingsworth from, from Sport England, and he was saying that from his point of view as, a, as an NGB, you want to be talking about your strategy first and foremost. You don't want to bring resource to the table first and foremost. You want one in another in an ideal world to dictate the other. Is is that the same here then? I think that's what we've done, to be fair. I don't think I mean I, I don't think because we've been limited with resource, I think what you'll find we've done is we've been quite ambitious by putting these additional programmes onto, you know, our our horizon and of course merging with Paris Nace but we've driven here's our vision we've set the vision we've been ambitious and we've set we've set out how we're going to get there and um and we've pro- and then effectively by being successful that then creates additional opportunity to attract funding so we've we've kind of set out there first set our stall out and really gone for it and been very fortunate that we've gained the results which is then in itself reaping the benefit in terms of resource and being able to go back and ask for more funding which is something that we've done and you mentioned earlier obviously some of the, the learnings you've been able to have through your performance director with people like British Cycling organizations rather like British Cycling is it important that you all work together, Olympic and Paralympic sports, summer and winter, and you're not existing in silos? I think that's absolutely the case. And really, um, really interestingly, I think what's happened with the winter sports, and I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that UK sport and, and, and uh, the BOA would admit that winter sports, because we haven't really um, been gaining huge results in it in the past, it's been quite easy to really focus on the summer Olympics. So when you talk about the winter Olympics, it hasn't been a huge thing for Britain in particular. And the IOC, um, I think, as uh, well. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, because of the way that we're heading and because we're, you know, getting better and we're, we're starting to see, you know, the, these athletes on podiums more. And in fact, we have more in Britain now. We have more athletes on more podiums across more disciplines than ever in history. So people are starting to sit and, and listen. And it's a fascinating sport to watch anyway. So, but learning, um, taking the learnings from cycling and rowing and all the other disciplines, uh, gymnastics is really important and vice versa. And particularly, as you say, across the Paralympic and Olympic space, we've learned so much by, by merging and bringing the two together. And the IOC, I mentioned them there because they had that kind of subtle rebranding because when, when we grew up, it was the Winter Olympic Games and now it's the Olympic winter games and the olympic summer games so how important is is just a a little subtle rebrand like that in in terms of building profile 
I think it's really important. I mean, we did a rebrand from British Ski and Snowboard and the difference it has made to get into GB Snow Sports and actually changing the logo, changing the way we look and feel and getting people to understand what we do per se is, has, has made a huge difference. So I, I do think it matters. And you're in a building, as Michael said, along with, with Team GB and, and GB. It's obviously an Olympic year for the Summer Games. Is it giving you a kind of indication of what two years' time may be with Beijing? It's really exciting, actually. Yes, it does. And we've had the fortunate position of going out to Beijing and, and having a look. And the way that they are um, working on how it's going to be set up is fantastic. I'm also really fortunate because I also sit on the BOA board. So having the exposure to how they're building up to Tokyo, I mean, that's it's great learning for me. But it also, um, you know, it, I think it's giving us ideas as to how do we want to get prepared for Beijing and really make the most of it for this country. And a few people, I think, obviously, when Beijing was announced as a host city, were wondering where the snow and the mountains were. <laughs> Lots of discussion about air quality. And obviously, you know, with China in the past, there was big discussions ahead of 2008 around human rights. But from your issue being out there, you feel that, that a good games is, is on, on the cards? Honestly, I mean, I was absolutely blown away with what I actually saw when we went out there for the recce. They are so well prepared. We'll be split over three... Um, areas and they are doing so much to make it a really exciting successful game and they're using the, the stadium and the cube which they had from 2008 aren't they yeah they are and they build it i mean they're building things like at a rate of knots but um mountains yeah they're building <laughs> well, they've got the mountains there but what they're doing they're clearly creating as much snow but they're building hotels and they're building fast rail service and um i have to say the people were fantastic uh, that we met and they talked us through they'd almost built like a mini lego um setup of where the resorts are going to be and just talking us through it and showing us where they're going to be and of course we've got a, a young ski jumper now that's just at, um out in in yoga so we're really excited about where we're going to be for these um, these games as well and the different disciplines that we're going to actually come to the party with credibility. They're not typed up yet. They're not in black and white, but do you have some kind of pencil targets for Beijing at this stage? <laughs> do you know, I'll be held to account if you make me say that. But yes, we do pencil targets. Can you tell um, us what they are? Well, I, you know, oh, it's, uh, we, it's, I don't think it's a secret anymore. I mean, um, in terms of the fact that we've upped, you know, our, our medal target to eight. We had it down at one, but, we, you know, we've upped it to eight. and it, that That's a huge difference. That is a huge difference, isn't it? So that's exciting in itself. Um, and names in the frame, well, we've got a number that we've already discussed that, you know, um, we're hopeful with. We don't want to put pressure on the individuals themselves, clearly, but we are, you know, we're really hopeful. We have some super talent. Well, Vicky Gosling, CEO of uh, GB Snowsport, thank you very much for talking to great British bosses from anything but footy. Good luck with that target of eight. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.